Hello, hello, hello. This is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, on today's show, we have a very interesting guest. His name is Jonathan Nelson, and Jonathan has started and is currently running his own startup accelerator right here in Silicon Valley by the name of Hackers and Founders. And Jonathan's story is really a very, very interesting one. He started out as a nurse. Yes, that is correct. He started out as a nurse, the person who takes care of you in a hospital when you're really sick. And from there, he is now today running his own startup accelerator in Silicon Valley. So this discussion will be helpful, not only in understanding what goes into running a startup accelerator, but also it gives a glimpse into seeing how it is possible to go from any point A to point B as long as you're willing to put in the hard work and try a whole bunch of different things. So I think it's going to be a great discussion for all of you. Before we get into the discussion, I'm going to play this short audio from the video that Hackers and Founders has put together describing what they do. You'll hear a bunch of startups that are a part of Hackers and Founders describe what they do. And of course, you'll hear Jonathan describe what is Hackers and Founders. So take a look or take a listen. Camera Lens is a peer-to-peer camera lending network. GroupHub is motivated by the belief that group insurance enrollment is broken. By using our big data market research tool, we generate reports in under a minute. Our data, because we collect it on a daily basis, is fresh. is a software company that provides secured applications for your smartphone. Legal Passage is like TurboTax, but for family law. We do what's called a deep dive with each company at the very beginning. And what that is, is the team actually sits down with the founders and we really take three or four hours to profoundly understand what the startup is doing. We really try to get a whole picture of who these people are and where they want their company to go. It was actually really clear to me that what is currently being done for startups and so-called incubators and accelerators, I don't think is actually solving the problems that these startups have. I'm really trying to design something that really focuses and helps the startups out in the best way possible. In this blind scoring process, I want founders to be able to get a score and written feedback from the other reviewers so that they can apply and they can actually improve based on that score. After trying to help startup after startup informally through our events, we decided that we actually had to create a bit more of a structure around that and actually only work with a handful of companies every year, which is really how the co-op was born. We essentially became personal trainers for startups. 
We produce pitch videos. If they want to raise from accredited investors, angels, venture capitalists, we try to actually match them with the people in our networks that we think would be actually be a best fit. We leverage AngelList pretty strongly. We also have what's called an AngelList syndicate. So we're trying to do a hundred little things differently all the way up and down, which I actually think comes up producing a very different product. Really, it was all about getting together with other entrepreneurs and helping each other out. It was a bunch of hackers and founders who were actually starting startups. So, yep, that was Jonathan describing what is Hackers and Founders. Some quick stats on Hackers and Founders. Uh, over the course of its lifetime, they've worked with more than 50 companies with a collective market cap of more than $400 million. And they've had five exits so far. Uh, by an exit, I mean that a startup has had some sort of a successful end to its journey, either in the form of an IPO or an acquisition. So in the case of Hackers and Founders, they've all been acquisitions by companies such as Cisco and Facebook and so on. So that was the introduction. And now, without further ado, let's welcome Jonathan to the show. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? Doing great yourself. I'm great. It looks like you were just logged out of your house. I was, as a matter of fact, just lucked out of my house, but now I'm in and it's much better. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a working day for you. It's a Saturday, but it looks like you're working pretty much all through the week. Yeah, yesterday I found out that one of our advisors was bringing over a Chinese executive who manages $42 billion with a B of assets. And we were their last best stop um, on their trip to Silicon Valley. And so all of a sudden, how do you actually talk with a man who has multi-billion dollars? I guess you open your mouth and, you know, you just start chatting. Hey, how are you? Um so, but it's not every day that it's you get to talk day. with someone who manages billions of dollars. Oh, no, absolutely. And so these people are reaching out to you because they want to invest in your companies? Like, what are they looking for? Um, there has actually been a lot of Chinese investors who have actually been reaching out to us because they're very interested in investing in Silicon Valley. They're interested in investing in Silicon Valley startups. They're interested in learning from Silicon Valley, how we actually do startups. We have a bit of a different take on what an accelerator means. And, you know, I'm always happy to talk to very rich people about investing in startups. So. <laughs> no, absolutely. Oh, this is, uh, I definitely want to learn a little bit more about what is an accelerator and how is hackers and founders different. Mm -hmm. But maybe we can first chat a little bit about just your journey. Sure. Take us back to where you're from and then just sort of the highlights of what has finally resulted in hackers and founders. So I'll wrap up 43 years into like two minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, my parents were missionaries in Central America. I was the only white child at the end of six hours of road in rural Honduras. When I was three, we moved to Costa Rica for 10 years. We moved back to the States. I finished up high school in Minnesota. Lived there. My dream was to go back overseas and become a missionary. Mom and dad wanted me to study a trade and not just be a preacher and go to seminary. And so I said, great, computer science. Mm. Mom and dad said, no, 
computers are video game machines. We should, uh. You should actually go and study nursing. If you're going to end up working in some place tropical in the jungle, it's always helpful to know how to boil the water and how to cure infections. I see. So I went back to school for nursing. After that, I went to seminary. Did not last very long there. I believe after I returned, it was about four months, and I was tapping out. I was done. I had been working a trauma center in Minneapolis um, while I was going to nursing school, and that just felt a lot more vibrant and alive to me um, than necessarily going to a, a seminary was. It was I couldn't handle the adrenaline withdrawal, so I dropped out of seminary and I started working as an ER nurse, and I did that for almost 20 years. Wow. That's a lot. In, yeah. <laughs> and in that time, nursing was never my passion. Hmm. And so I knew that I was going to do something else. Hmm. And so I spent, you know, three nights a week is full time working as an emergency room trauma nurse. Four nights a week, I had to do other things. So I went to college for about part time for about 12 years. I finally finished my associate's degree in nursing. I never let university or college get in the way of an education. I just wanted to learn. Hmm. I tried to be a painter. I tried to be a sculptor. I tried to be an animator. I tried to be a furniture designer. I wanted to be an industrial designer. My wife finished a degree in film production. And then I said, hey, digital design. And from there, I went into digital animation, and we moved to Hollywood. I finally had, I had a portfolio of 3D animation and 2D animation. A friend of me offered me a job at Sony Pictures Image Works um, in their animation department. He said, but you really don't want this job. He convinced me to major, going back to school, to major in computer science, which is what I did. And oh, at so that point, just to ahead. clarify, you went back to school to study computer science after you were done with your nursing stint. Yeah, no, this is all while I was a nurse. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, so you were <laughs> you were already working. You so your daytime job was your was as a nurse, and well, then I, I my moon my nighttime job was as a nurse, and so oh okay days and during the week I had to do whatever else I wanted to do, which was trying to figure out what other career I wanted to find. Wow, that is that is quite impressive. And so, all right, I mean, I'm going to ask my follow-up questions later, but yeah. please carry on. Uh, I went back to school for software engineering. I started hearing about this startup thing, and I said, ooh, that. I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. How does one get good at startups? What are my chances of succeeding at building a technology company? What is the best data around success, best practices, and entrepreneurship? I've always been a nerd, and data, always kind of been obsessive about data and research and studies. And if I had a question, I would ask the doctor, and I'd go read the doctor's textbooks and go online and read the latest research on whatever disease and what the data said was the best treatment. And so... Um, I was expecting to have a bunch of data and resources available to me as an entrepreneur. Um, and there's not. There's a bunch of opinions. 
the lean startup movement is kind of developing something of a methodology. Yeah. I think that's a good start. But everybody told me that only one out of every 10 startups succeeded. You hear that all the time. And I, coming from a critical care nursing background, I thought, oh, my God, 90% of this patient population dies. (laughs) Like, this is an epidemic. This is an epidemic, yeah. What are these startups, what are these companies dying of? You know, what insidious disease is killing these entrepreneurs and killing their chances at building a company? And, like, no one really knew what startups died of. And I was like, okay. Well, what's your definition of success? Well, it turns out that one out of every 10 companies that a venture capitalist invests in tends to return 20x the original investment. And that satisfied the venture capitalist kind of investment requirement. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that and I said, well, that's not my definition of success as an entrepreneur. Sure. If I can return 20x my investor's investment, that's fantastic. But what if I wanted a profitable company? Mm. Uh, Yeah, no, that doesn't really work for the venture capital model. I'm like, really? Like profitable, growing employees? Nope. Because those companies only grow linearly. VCs only invest in things that are growing exponentially. And so that's what we need to invest in. And I was like, well... Okay, I guess I'm going to have to build 10 companies then, and I'll figure it out. And so I came to Silicon Valley with this crazy idea that I was going to build 10 companies over 10 years. Oh, like one per year and see which one succeeds? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Hackers and Founders is company number six. Uh Aha, I see. Can you just give us a brief, what were the remaining, the earlier five? Oh, Absolutely. Um, My first idea was a Reddit.com clone dedicated towards, ready, sharing cat pictures. (laughs) I was so far ahead of the cat picture curve that the world did not understand my genius. And I didn't put cat pictures on the website. I put links to cat pictures. Oh, wow. Okay. What was it called? It's called cute.com with three U's. Ah, okay. I'll check it out. Okay. No, it's dead. Oh. Um, <laughs> then, <laughs> not, not to say, I could have told you that, but okay. And so I just got sick of looking at cat pictures all the time. So I said, uh, my problem was, was I didn't do something that I was interested in. I was thinking of something that nurses would enjoy and stupid nurses. They didn't understand my genius. Um, <laughs> So I decided I would build a Reddit clone for financial and economic news. Okay. No one used it. Hmm. Um, Apparently, people don't like chatting about financial Financial news. news. Actually, well, I don't don't want to digress too much. I think Bloomberg probably does something. There is a community that they have, right, around just financial stuff. Yeah, Yahoo Finance is probably the best one. Okay, okay. Um, And then... I got frustrated. I took a break. I kind of got obsessed with selling digital products hmm. and selling like data and ebooks and stuff like that. So I tried an ebook. That one didn't work. I tried building a database of hospitals. 
did some smoke testing first online in September of 2008. And it showed that if I spent about $200 on advertising, I could probably make about $500 selling this. Okay. I then built the database. I had it cleaned. I spent about $2,000 to have a team in India kind of clean and sanitize this data. And then I tried selling this data in January 2008. And in the middle of all that, the stock market crashed, the big right. you know, collapse happened. And so I spent three very frustrating months trying to sell a digital product that no one was buying because no one was buying anything. I then, a friend of mine had a frequent flyer podcast on how to get the most out of frequent flying. Okay. And he said, like, dude, if you want to travel, right now's the time. Call this number. Get, you know, call this super secret number. Tell them that you want to try the Platinum Challenge on American Airlines. And you got to fly 50,000 miles in three months. And then you get Executive Platinum, which is their top tier service. So I spent $2,500 flying 50,000 miles in three months. Wow. Okay. It was... I flew to Frankfurt and back in a weekend, Barcelona and back, Madrid and back. I would generally try to fly through Fort Lauderdale, like Chicago, then Fort Lauderdale. So I had to zigzag across the country. Okay. Um, so then I got executive platinum on American Airlines. And I just started taking long trips if I could find a really cheap fare. I'd upgrade to first class. And I would just fly to Boston and back in first class programming and working on my startup idea and people next to me I'm there wearing my nerd shorts and my <laughs> nerd t-shirt and in my ponytail and you know the very nice dressed man in the suit sitting next to me is like oh so what are you doing <laughs> oh and what are you doing here <laughs> and I said I'm building financial news filtering software mm. why what do you do oh I manage a hedge fund. Really? Tell me, what problems do you actually have investing? Ah! And it's amazing. A couple of lessons for me is asking rich people what problems they have making money is a really good way to actually find startup ideas. No, it's a good um, point. Yeah. And it actually sometimes pays to fly first class just because of the conversations that you have. Hmm. So anyway, I heard a lot of people who are having troubles investing in investments that weren't in the United States and Europe because the, their economies were collapsing and they wanted to invest in China, India, Brazil, South Africa, Latin America, but they couldn't find investments. And I'm like, oh, you can't find something. Well, let me search for it. So I built a search engine for financial news. That started doing fairly well. And I decided to start talking to investors. For, but, for the search engine? For the search engine. Okay. But I had read online that if you ask an investor for money, they're going to tell you how you need to fix your startup. But if you ask them for advice, sometimes they give you money. <laughs> That's right. So I schemed and started planning, what advice can I ask? Well, I had started this meetup group years earlier when I moved to Silicon Valley. Just to, you know, my wife, I believe her word was, honey, I love you, but get out of the house at least one night a month to go talk to somebody else about startups. <laughs> um, and so I blame my wife for it all. So 
on her suggestion, I started this little networking group called Hackers and Founders, and it was, you know, nerds building startups, and we get together every month. And the events kept on growing and growing and growing and growing. And at the time that I was building the search engine, we had about 5,000 people in Silicon Valley. Our events were about 250, 300 people at a time. And I saw all sorts of entrepreneurs from all over the globe coming to Silicon Valley. They'd come up to me at my event and say, dude, how can I, how do I raise money? Where do I go in Silicon Valley? I have this problem. And I was trying to be as helpful as I possibly could, but it just became overwhelming. So I started talking to investors about what should I do with this meetup? Mm-hmm. And I'm building a search engine for financial news. I don't need any money right now, but maybe in nine months. But anyway, what should I do with this meetup group? And one investor in particular asked me to introduce him to some of the people that I was meeting. Being a lazy engineer, we created a process to introduce startups to investors. And after that, the investor just started really, really pushing me to start an accelerator and or a venture fund. Because he was like, you know, the quality of the startups that you just showed me is fantastic. Drop everything that you're doing and work on this. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not rich. I don't have money to invest in these companies. Hmm. I'm a nurse. You know, what kind of advice would I tell these people? And the investor believed, and I agree with him now, that eventually the sources of capital for startups are going to get much more varied. It's not just going to be a venture capitalist or an angel investor. There's going to be crowdfunding. There's going to be websites. Mm. There's going to be government grants. Mm. He said, but startups will still really need like an advice and services kind of layer. Um, He's like, so, you know, let me, for instance, build these finance APIs or finance layer for startups. You build this like advice and services layer for startups and together we'll scale the global economy. And I was like, okay. That's quite a vision. Yeah. So I do what? He's like, here's your first eight companies. Get together, help them, help them help each other. And at the end of three months, we'll do a digital demo day and uh, online on my platform. And if they raise money, you have a thing. Yeah. So this so this conversation, this happened back in, like, can you place us in the timeline? So this happened back in 2010. 2010. So- 2000, 2010, 2011. Yeah. Okay. And if I've done my research well, this investor was Nawal Ravikant, who is the yes, founder it was. of Angelist. It was Nawal who manages Angelist. Right, right. So you know, the thing which really stands out for me is that you come from a very non-Silicon Valley background, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not it's not that you're not just an engineer. You're, you don't come from a quantitative background, which is basically how I would describe most people here in Silicon Valley are. Mm-hmm. So, and you, you build a very strong network. I mean, someone like Nawal Ravikant, if you have someone like Nawal Ravikant telling you something, I mean, I would do it. He would say, yeah. jump off the cliff and you, <laughs> I'll jump off the cliff, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, okay, not oh. that bad, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, he he's someone that I think is very well respected across Silicon Valley. So how yep. did you how did you get someone like him to even be advising you? So at the time, what I did was I asked a friend of mine who had worked as an engineer of his, and I said, "Here's three sentences. If you feel it's appropriate, would you mind forwarding it to Naval?" 
And I believe the email was something like, I've grown this meetup from zero to 5,000 members in four years. I'm not entirely sure what to do with all of these entrepreneurs coming from around the globe to Silicon Valley. Is anyone doing anything to help them? If you have 20 minutes, I would love to pick your brain. I see. Okay. That, no, that's helpful. So you reached out to him when your meetup, so Hackers and Founders, if I understand your story correctly, yes. the, the roots are in that meetup that you started. Ab- absolutely. Right. Um, it was always just a meetup. It was a series of events. We started doing them, you know, all over Silicon Valley. At this point, we still organize anywhere from two to five events in town. Okay. Um, every week. Yeah. A lot of those are for portfolio companies now, though. And these 5,000 members, were these are these people only in Silicon Valley or is this across the world? People, so we'll flash forward to now. There are over 160 hackers and founders organized who have held hackers and founders events in 115 cities, 45 countries, and over a quarter of a million people have attended hackers and founders events. Yeah, um, so I mean... What is your secret sauce? Because if I go to meetup.com, there mm-hmm. are literally hundreds, and it's not an exaggeration, hundreds of events which are focused on startups, right? Networking yep. events of all of all kinds. And I've been to a, a many of these events myself. And mm-hmm. for me, it's been very much of a hit or a miss. Yep. You know, a lot of these events, you end up there and you're like, I'm like I think I wasted my time coming over yeah. here. So what do you think stood out about your meetups that it just kept growing so much? I... I don't, I think a couple of things stood out. One is that we had nothing about entrepreneurship except for our name, Hackers and Founders, in the tags or in any of the copy. It was all generally on the tagging. We tagged our events with esoteric programming languages Hmm. and like really geeky programming tools. And that, ended up bringing a bunch of really clever and the fact that our name has hackers in it okay you kind of have to have a sense that hackers are clever problem solvers or great programmers and if the word hacker scared you away from the event that was actually kind of a good thing Hmm. and we actively worked to not grow the event (laughs) Yeah, so you were very selective about who, uh, selective in the sense it's not like you were turning people away, but you were actively trying to attract only programmers. Correct. And the people on the business side who came were very technically savvy. Hmm. At this point, we probably have some of the best engineers in Silicon Valley and the world have attended our events and are in my personal network. And we really tried hard and we thought a lot about how do you make a networking event for geeks and nerds who generally sit in front of a computer who normally don't socialize? How do we make an event to help non-social people socialize with each other and help each other out? Okay. And we just did a lot of work around that. We also just tried to be really helpful, even still in my networking And in business, I generally try to give um, 95, 97% of the time if I can. And occasionally I'll make a request of somebody. 
but I believe very, very firmly in paying it forward and gaining karma. And, you know, a friend of mine, Scott Rafer, said that Silicon Valley is built on a 30-second favor. Mm-hmm. And it's just, hey, you should talk to so-and-so. Here, let me send off yeah, a quick introduction. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. And that means a lot to that person, and you've done your, your bit. Yep. Okay. So I think at this point, it will be helpful if you can describe what is an accelerator and also how hackers and founders may have a slightly different take on it. So there are incubators and accelerators and venture funds. An incubator tends to be a physical space where people work out of. Hmm. Sometimes those are also called co-working spaces. Hmm. Sometimes the focus is on building great companies. Sometimes the focus is on getting people to pay for real estate and to rent real estate from me. There are also accelerators, and a lot of them have kind of a school-based, like an Ivy League kind of based academic thesis, which is it would be a three-month or semester-long program you fill out a long application, you kind of have an essay, and then you stand and you have a face-to-face interview, and then based on how you did in the interviews, then you get in or you don't. And then at the end of these three months, you have a graduation where your graduation is called a demo day, and you present your company to hopefully a room full of investors who buy startup stock on a regular basis. Um. I really just don't like that model. So the model that you describe that you're describing as an incubator is basically um, not an incubator, an accelerator is basically something like Y Combinator. Yeah. Right. And we tried that once or twice. And what I found was that I spent all of my time getting the companies ready to be in front of a large number of investors. So I spent all of my time teaching investor marketing and how to market your stock and sell your stock to rich people. And then after the startup started raising, I was so busy trying to get the next batch of companies together. I didn't really have time to spend with the startups as they were raising. And then after their raise, when you actually have to build a company with that money, and when a lot of times they could really use the help, I wasn't able to be around. I see. It also felt to me very artificial to take a bunch of companies from different walks of life in different stages and try to put them into a same kind of class or cohort and then have a similar graduation when some companies didn't need capital, they just wanted investment or they just wanted to focus on revenue. Some companies were, you know, they barely had a product. Other companies had product and tons of customers. And that ended up kind of artificially stratifying the companies as well. And I don't think that startups are a competition in that one or two win. I think we're not trying to all get a piece of the pie or a bigger piece of the pie. I think essentially startups are should be about, in the best of worlds, of building pie factories and building cake factories and creating abundance in the world and not fighting over scraps. And so we've changed our model so that it really tries to focus on what's best for this company right now and what do they need and how can we help them. 
So uh, how, how has that? How has this thinking manifested itself in the way so, Hackers Founders? So, works? for instance, instead of somebody filling out an application and us saying pass fail, what we do is we have a pool of twenty to thirty very talented entrepreneurs who understand technologies deeply, who review and score applications. And every score, every application gets their average scores and written feedback from a number of reviewers. Hmm. Then if the scores are high enough, we have those startups then go on and talk with five investors via Skype. The investors, it's not a pitch for money, but it's a feedback and advice session. The investors then score the company based on how likely they think this company is to raise half a million dollars in Silicon Valley or to do a quarter of a million dollars in revenue. Hmm. We take those scores, average them, take the comments from the investors, and then provide it back to the startup. And then after that, we sit down if they want to and say, look, Here's what we do in our co-op, which is what we call our founders cooperative. Okay. Here's how we work. You contribute stock into a shared pool. You'll share this stock pool with 20 other people. Or the stock pool has a million shares that the pool is comprised of. 200,000 shares get distributed amongst the founders. 300,000 shares hackers and founders keeps. And the remaining 500,000 shares we sell to angel investors to pay for the staff that supports the companies in the cooperative. And we now have 12 staff people in three different countries supporting our portfolios. Oh, I see. Okay, this is very interesting. So if I were to make sure that I understand the process correctly, mm-hmm. for startups, it's not like they're applying to you. They're filling out some sort of an application, which is it's going to five, be scored. You answer five questions. What is okay. your pitch? What is your product? Who's on your team? Brag a little. Um, what kind of traction or market uptake do you have? And who is your customer? Got it. And so based on what you write there, then you have sort of, it's it's not it's not like you have one or two people who are sort of scoring your application. It's more of a slightly crowdsourced-ish model. It, It's like peer feedback. I think of it as a peer reviewed journal article when you, you know, present your paper for peer review in an academic setting or not, you know, in a university or medical center setting. I'm presenting this paper for peer review. Please, you know, give me a score and feedback on what it is that I'm doing. And as an entrepreneur, I always need to raise money. That, you know, that's just kind of the pathology or the kind of the chronic condition of an entrepreneur is we never have enough capital to build this company. But to do that, I have to sell my stock to someone who's willing to buy it. And now I thought I was building a technology company and I thought I was building software, but I'm, what I'm really doing is I'm selling stock. Yeah. And if I'm coming from outside of Silicon Valley to Silicon Valley, how do I know if my stock is a buy or not? Yeah. Generally, you have to talk to about 100 investors, 100, 150 investors, to get 14 investors who will actually invest up to a million, million dollar, five, you know, 1.5 million into your company. That's the basic information that I have is you got to talk with 150 investors, you know, boom, boom, boom. 
And that process can take six months. And if it does take six months, and if you have a three-month visa coming from someone else, you're screwed. (laughs) No, I mean, completely understand. I mean, uh, you you started out wanting to build a great company and a great product, but you end up spending most of your time just trying to raise money and you don't even know how to raise money or whom to ask. Like Just reaching out to those 150 investors is a big problem. Um, Yeah. And so we put our startups in front of investors and say, hey, you know, give the startup your best guess on how likely they are to raise half a million dollars. Okay. And so, so I understand that then depending on the scoring and the feedback, you, yep. the, the best of those startups in terms of the scoring, then create the stock pool. And then, so to your point, I think you made a very important point, which is that in a program like Y Combinator and other such programs, you're there only for those three months. Uh, Mm -hmm. which is usually you might be in a very early stage, maybe not so much. But then when you're really building out your company, there is no one to help you unless you have a VC or someone who's invested in you. So is is hackers and founders different in any ways? Like once you form the stock pool, then what happens? Um, We're in for the life of the company. We're shareholders and we have a significant enough stake. We'll only work with, you know, 20 companies in a year. Okay. Um, and we work very, very hard and go deep with these companies. We do what's called a deep dive. Um, we have a database that we fill out on each one of our companies. You know, what is the product? What is the whole technology stack they're working on? Okay. How are their finances illegal? All of that sort of stuff. And then we also have a task system where we start generating tasks and giving them out to parts of the team. Okay. Okay. We then come back and we review kind of ongoingly repeat this process every few weeks um, till the startup really kind of takes off and doesn't need us as intensely anymore. Right. Generally, there are kind of crisis periods where we spend a lot of time with the entrepreneurs in a short amount of time putting fires out. And then they <laughs> take off and they get busy and we don't see them for a yeah. while. Yeah. Um, we kind of act also like an ongoing emergency room. <laughs> Or, or critical care yeah, work sure for, <laughs> for startups. Yeah. Um, now, do you get calls in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., 4 a.m.? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and everybody gets my cell phone number, and I tell them, text me, and I will, if at all possible, get back to you within the hour. Right. Um, and I've literally had phone calls at 2 or 3 in the morning saying, oh, my gosh, Jonathan, you know, yeah. someone stole $25,000 out of our account, and oh, now our wow. company's got to die. I got to quit. I got to go back to work. Yeah. So you talk the founder off the ledge, um, you do whatever you can to help them out and, you know, they generally get through it. And then a few months later, they're good. So Um, I want to go back to one thing, which so we we spoke about how a lot of my questions are from the point of view of someone who might be interested in doing something similar to what you're doing, maybe not exactly the same, but. As someone who was very new to Silicon Valley, I understand that the meetup.com thing was a big deal in just mm-hmm. helping you form your network. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else that helped you form your network? Like, did you do anything which might not be so obvious? Like, you send an email to Nawal Ravikant. I mean, I think that's pretty, <sighs> not everyone might think of it. I, I always try to give to the person that I'm meeting or that I would like to meet. And I generally try to offer something which would be in their best interest. For instance, this past week, I've been asked to join a small roundtable where the Department of Homeland Security's head person in charge of procurement or buying things 
they need specific technologies in specific areas. So they're trying to figure out how do we get startups to do this. So I got invited to this because of some of my government work. So now I have five invitations to VCs, and I'll send them to VCs I haven't necessarily worked with before, saying, hey, would you like to come and join us at this roundtable with the head of procurement for the Department of Homeland Security? I see. So you won't just keep it to yourself. You'll you'll forward it, and that's just a good, okay. And so I, generally, you kind of, you know, have to think of how do I help this other person win? Hmm. And if I can deliver a win and it's very easy for me, I just do that instinctively. Okay. Um, how can I help? What problems do you have? Or questions that I almost always ask people when we're talking. That's, that's, so the, and that's something that you do proactively on your own without the other person asking you for help? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, cool. And it's kind of interesting when you talk to someone who manages, for instance, a $42 billion fund and you say... How can I help? <laughs> yeah, I know. He's probably not expecting that question from you. No, they don't. And memories are formed when people have an emotional response and there's like a little bit of data attached to it. And so generally people are surprised when you ask them that. Or if you give something to someone else, they're generally like, oh, really? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I first started talking to investors, um, my sister makes beautiful handwritten, like handmade cards. Hmm. So after meeting with someone, I would sit in the car and I would write them a tiny little thank you note saying, thank you very much. Hmm. Really meant a lot that you invested an hour of your day with me. You know, if I can do anything for you, don't let me. And so I would send this thank you card and then I would get thank you emails thanking me for my thank you card. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, of course. Like no one expects anything non-digital these days so that in itself is a big deal yeah okay so uh, to understand more of sort of just what is it like to run an accelerator can you Mm -hmm. maybe share an example of a typical project you may have worked on with a startup or even even not with a startup but just what what goes into forming an accelerator so i don't know how to make huge startups Hmm. I don't know that anyone really does. And when I've talked to VCs or people who invest billions of dollars of money in entrepreneurs, I'll ask them, and I have, what's the secret to picking the best startups or growing startups to become huge? And most of them say, if I'm honest, I have no idea. But what I do know that technology companies, they usually either grow or they die. There's not a whole lot of technology companies that remain stagnant because the environment is so kind of aggressive and technologies Mm. change so quickly. And if you don't keep up, you just kind of die. And so I generally ask, I spent 20 years as an ER nurse walking into a patient's room and say, hi, what hurts you? Um, I have chest pain. Oh, do you have a fever? Do you have a cough? Did this happen when you're doing a lot of exercise? Were you lifting weights? Did you pull a muscle? And in my mind, I'm trying to diagnose, does this person have a heart attack? Do they have a pneumonia? Do they have a bronchitis? Did they pull a muscle? And then we get some data to actually prove, you know, kind of our suspicions. And then we will try to treat whatever disease or process is causing the pain as quickly and as efficiently as possible. I still very much use that process when I work with startups. 
I don't really want to know what's going very well with my startups. The stuff that I really want to know is what's the ugly, what <laughs> sucks, yeah. you know, what problems are you having? Like, let's sit down, we'll have a beer and let's, you know, what are you frustrated and angry about? Rant to me because if it's going really well, you're an expert at this problem you're solving with software. And if it's going really well, I probably don't have a whole lot to say to you. Mm. But if things are going sideways for you and things are failing, I might know someone who can help. I might have seen this problem before. It might be, is it a symptom of something deeper? Is it something that can be solved relatively quickly? Um, and so I spend a lot of time solving people's problems and really focusing on their problems as kind of this company nurse right. um, <laughs> or this company physician. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. You are and sort I, of like the nurse of all of those startups. And I also see myself kind of as like a family practice doctor would. And if they have more complicated things, I'll send them off to specialists that I know hmm. from my network. Um, oh, you should talk to these three people who are experts in this field. I think they might actually help. Got it. So that's really the bread and butter of what it is that we do with our companies. Yeah. And so to a layman like me, uh, you know, uh, and maybe even for you before you started this accelerator, before Naval Ravikant sort of pushed oh, you yeah. in this thing. I mean, everyone thinks of an accelerator as, okay, well, you know, it's it's a, it's a place which is providing a bunch of very useful resources for mm -hmm. these uh, startups. And that, that could mean just mentorship, access to funds, et cetera, et cetera. Is there anything which was very unexpected that you've had to do as part yes. of this process? Um. We, for instance, I keep a boutique physician on retainer for portfolio companies. A lot of the companies, when they come to the United States, they move to Silicon Valley. Health insurance isn't necessarily the top of their priorities. Oh, okay. okay. If they get sick, um, I can call this doctor on his cell phone and get a person to actually get seen by a doctor. Oh, interesting. You know. Same That's a day. very good. I always wondered, how do startups get insurance? Because who's going to pay for it? Yeah. No, that's a good one. Okay. And I've seen a number of companies die or come close to dying when the CEO or founder or CTO ends up sick in an emergency room because it's the only place available for them for health care. And then they get a $25,000 hospital bill. Yeah. You know, at that point, you have to go back to work. Um, we're also... Our companies tend to be very good technically because we're hackers and founders. Design and marketing is something that they generally need help on. So that's some of the resources that we really try to be strong on. We had a designer in-house. We ended up noticing that some CEOs loved the designer stuff. Some CEOs really didn't like the designer stuff. And taste has a lot to do with that. So one of the things we're doing now is we're actually finding a portfolio of 20 designers that we've vetted, that we've worked with, that we can vouch for and say, hey, here's five designers that I think would actually be really good for you. Which one of these do you want to contact? Oh, interesting. Um, okay. And each of them it, will sort of vary in terms of the kind of design they do. So, the yeah. And if the startup is broke, we'll generally pay for the design. And if they have money, then go ahead and pay for the design. Okay. Um, we work a lot on helping our companies do pitch decks and raise capital. 
I tend to push our companies very hard on getting revenue. Okay. So you're, um, you're not one of those people that it's just, it's just about growth and lose all the money you have, but just grow. No, I mean, I've noticed, you know, I kind of do these morbidity and mortality reports in my head constantly, like what is the leading cost of death among startups? Um, in our portfolio, it's been founder conflict. So if, you know, two founders of a company, if they start to argue and they break up, well, you've been spending all your time with this person. Now you can't stand each other. You have to talk with lawyers. There's a lot of money involved. And when it's done and you're separated, you're both going to be depressed. You're probably going to be drinking heavily for nine months. I call that a divorce. <laughs> it is a divorce, yeah. So Laura, who's my wife and I, we do co-founder counseling. Oh, because interesting. Because it's much more in our interest to sit down and have an intervention with a pair of founders so it's like therapy or do session. some ongoing counseling with them yeah. um, to keep them from dying by breaking up. That is so cool. Wow. So I mean, how big is the team, by the way? We have 12 people right now in three different countries. I see. Okay. So what do you think some of the key decisions you've taken uh, which have helped hackers and founders be successful? Oh, good question. Um one of the key decisions was really off the cuff. It was one of the first times that someone asked me if they could run a Hackers and Founders event. I think it was Wellington, New Zealand um, or Indianapolis. And they said, hey, can I start events like that where I am at? I'm like, yeah. And they said, do you have any rules? And I said, um, yeah. Oh, good. What are they? Um, the first rule is don't be an asshole. The second rule is please do the right thing for your community. The third rule is if you use the Hackers and Founders event, it's not, if you use the brand Hackers and Founders, it's not just you who uses it. So it's all of us. So please don't fuck it up. Hmm. And then four is be in touch with us and let us know what problems entrepreneurs have in your area. It turns out those are really good guidelines. And that's it. Um, I, that's Good. what we make people say. And, you know, I pledge I will do all of this. Yeah. And then after that, we shake hands and they run Hackers and Founders events. Mm. And what ends up happening unexpectedly is the people who hold startup events in a certain location for a while become the region's expert on startups. I see. They just know everybody. Yeah. They know all the investors. They know all the entrepreneurs. They know the problems and we've essentially built a network of entrepreneur business networks globally. That's been extremely beneficial. Right. Um, so I think, I think what you're saying, the decision here is the fact that you were okay with these strangers starting their own hackers, founders chapters. You gave them very basic guidelines and it was done in good faith yeah. and it seems to have worked. And I, we really haven't had a whole lot of problems with other people kind of abusing it. Mm. They generally will really want to respect for it. I think another key decision for us is we really obsess about culture and fit. We have only sold 2% of Hackers and Founders Inc. to other people, primarily because we're pretty obsessive about culture and control and we want our customers and our primary consumers to be 
the global entrepreneur community. Hmm. And we want to solve problems for them globally, not just in Silicon Valley. Our official tagline is making life suck 34% less for founders <laughs> in Silicon Valley and around the world. I've seen that theme throughout. It seems like very precise numbering for everything, like 34% less mm-hmm. HF.CX, which I won't get into, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I should have chosen 37% because 37 is a prime number. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So when you said that you've sold only 2%, of your mm-hmm. company, how do you value an accelerator? Oh, um, I mean, I don't want to get into the technicalities, but is is the valuation of an accelerator based on the valuation of its portfolio companies? That plus the promise of future earnings. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and what is a beer worth, or what does a beer cost? Oh, it depends what beer it is, <laughs> where it is. <laughs> you know, if it's in the grocery store. You're paying a dollar. Yeah. It's a Costco. You're paying fifty cents. Yeah. If you purchased a keg, it probably costs you fifteen cents. If you're at a sports game, you're probably paying like twenty dollars or something absurd yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's the same thing. And it's it's worth whatever you can get someone to pay you for it. You know, if I don't know, President Obama drank out of the beer, <laughs> be worth <laughs> whatever hundreds of millions of dollars. Or nothing, depending on your political preference. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Okay, cool. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. No, and, and so uh, what is the stock worth? Well, whatever someone's pay f- pays for it. So no, no, absolutely. I just didn't think of an accelerator that way. But I mean, I can see that, of course, like you're running your own company. And it's, we are a company that holds pools of stock in other companies. Right, right. And so, um, like this year, we're probably going to grow 4x the size. Oh, wow. Okay, right. Yeah, but I, I think from an investor's perspective, if I'm buying stock in an accelerator, I'm or let's, let's say Hackers and Founders, I'm buying into my belief in Jonathan's capability to really help these startups succeed, right? Yes, okay. and to add value. What I've promised our investors is I know that I have to make a lot more money for my investors and make them richer. And I can only do that. And I will only do that by adding a ton of value to the price of the stock of the companies that we work with. And we live on that margin in between. And so it's very clear to me who my customers are. It's our investors and our portfolio companies and how do we get portfolio companies is from this global community of startups that we're doing. Right, right. Okay. All right. So I just have some questions from the point of view of someone, let's say, who listens to your interview and says mm-hmm. that I would love to help other startups. Mm-hmm. So what do you think are the most interesting aspects of running your own accelerator? Hmm. What's the most interesting aspect of it? Um Seeing the varieties of the problems that the startups have. And one of the things that brings me the most joy is watching the leaders and the founders of these companies grow and change. Can you share Um, an example? It's a lot of what we do is leadership training. 
Um, my dad was a preacher in Central America for 20 years. He taught other preachers how to preach. I'm a CEO, and I'm teaching other CEOs how to CEO. And it's very rewarding to see CEOs go from I have a idea and I have a product and I have some basic kind of skills to see them learn from each other as CEOs. And then I'm very good at spitballing a whole bunch of ideas because I've heard a bunch of different options that other people have done. And it also tends to be very rewarding when people's mind gets blown by kind of, you just kind of, sometimes people just look at the tunnel because this is all they've known and you stick kind of a little slit of light into that tunnel and all of a sudden the company turns to face that light and this whole new world opens up to them. Um, And that's pretty amazing to actually be able to take part of that. There's also an awful lot of suck. I mean, there's just a lot of hard work. No, um, absolutely. Grim, grit, determination, a lot of hard times in companies. And so it's those times when things go really well that it, it makes that all the better. Yeah, I mean, can you share an example of a stressful situation that you might face as as Jonathan, owner, oh, CEO? Oh, um, as Jonathan? Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, we help startups raise money, but how we raise money is we sell is part of the stock pool. And sometimes your companies are doing really well, but you haven't sold a whole lot of the stock pool for a while. So you miss payroll. That's really bad. I hate that. It's really stressful. We're trying to grow for X this size or this year. And frankly, two of the co-op programs in Chicago and Berlin, it wasn't really my deciding, hey, we're going to start a program here. It was the local community saying, dude, 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 we have to start a co-op. We're ready. Let's go. We got this. Can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? Okay. And then it's off and running and you kind of shake hands on the business deal and you take care of the paperwork later. But I I looked back and I said, you know, a couple months ago, I was like, why am I so stressed right now? And then, oh, we're tripling or quadrupling in size this year. That'll do it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's just the pressure of keeping up with that growth and finding investors for your stock pool. Those are the kind of things that you're probably worrying about incessantly all the time. Yeah. Are there any aspects of running your accelerator that you just do not like? Like, n- not challenging, but just hateful. Mm-hmm. Maybe oh, hateful yeah. is too um, I hate firing people. Mm. Um, I hate really intense conflict with people. I don't mind it so much with with people on the outside, but like if it's in our team, that really drags on me. Is this among among the people who are in your startups, or? Even among the people on the Hackers and Founders team, I see. Okay. you know, let's say someone really strongly disagrees with one of the decisions that I'm making and I, I'm kind of a jerk and I ignore them and or I do it anyway. And then I come back and they're like, dude, I'm furious at you. And then you bonk heads with someone and that causes a lot of stress and strain. That's not yeah. good. Yeah. 
feeling, I think sometimes running a company tends to be very lonely. Hmm. For instance, one of our portfolio companies had a co-founder that was sleeping with one of their employees. And officially, their rules in their company said, you know, you're not supposed to fraternize with anybody and you're that's just a very big no-no. And that CEO had to fire their co-founder. How do you fire someone who's been with you for four years, who's helped build from the bottom up? The only people who know what that's like are other CEOs. Um, You know, if you have a bad day as the leader of a company, all of a sudden, all of your employees have a bad day too. And so you can't really afford to have too many bad days. I mean, you can, but it's not like you can really talk about it all the time. It's not a publicly bad day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So having a good support network is actually really important. Yeah. I don't like accounting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And I'm sure there are probably, would say, I would say, majority of people in general don't like accounting. Mm-hmm. But so these are these are points which, you know, if I were to do an interview, let's say with someone who is running some other company, he mm-hmm. or she may probably have very similar points. So mm-hmm. do you think that running your own accelerator is in any way different from running some other company? Um. It's different than running a technology company because technology is ancillary to what it is that we do. We're really in the people business. Mm. We're in the technology people business. I'm also in the finance business. I spend a lot of my time kind of obsessing about how companies get financing and how can we help them get financing to that point, I've been invited to, I'm a member on an SEC committee I'm on capital formation for small and medium businesses. I'm a world expert at that now, which <laughs> has been really surprising. And so in that respect, I think I look at, I know that my wife and I are going to be rich. I grew up in Central America with kids who did not have shoes. I'm already, I have rent paid in one of the most expensive zip codes in the world. I'm already in the global 1%. One of the interesting questions that I kind of constantly ask myself and that Laura and I talk about is, okay, if you know that you are going to be rich and that at some point you are going to succeed in being able to have enough money to retire, what kind of life do you want to lead and what kind of imprint do you want to make on society and what kind of world do you want to leave behind and honestly with as much as hackers and founders is growing globally if we don't mess this up we will end up in 20 years having moved economies wow and you know for instance we have Mexico, we're helping these companies over the next 20 years in Latin America, there are going to be companies that end up growing up to becoming worth over a billion dollars. 
a billion dollar in Mexico's economy moves their economy 0.1%. Right. That that's it, it does that scare you in any way in terms of just the responsibility? Um not really for me how do we achieve that is a really interesting engineering problem like it's kind of an ecosystem engineering challenge and you know how do you find the big enough lever to move the world being on an sec committee and being one of 14 people responsible for advising the government on how small businesses get capital is a big lever. And how do you move these 14 people and mm-hmm. communicate with them? And how do you make this committee work? That's an interesting social engineering problem. No, no, definitely. And and I think that the interesting thing that you're bringing out is that you, you are someone, as someone who is running an accelerator, and if in your case, it's at a global scale, mm-hmm. you, you're thinking at a systems level. Like it, it's it's not your product only. It's at a, at an economic system level that you have to figure out how to make this happen. And what's weird is how much I end up relying on my biology background as a nurse. <laughs> okay. In terms of, you know, in software engineering, we would probably con- call that the study of complex systems <laughs> and a study of very chaotic systems. And how do you change one little thing so that the entire body actually responds in different ways? There were times when I would be work on ICU and I would literally have an IV pump in front of me and I would look at somebody's blood pressure that was being continuously monitored in their arteries and I could push buttons on a machine and in 15 seconds I could see their blood pressure change. Mm, yeah, but you can't do that now. I can't do that now, but we're still trying to move. I'm still trying to move these ecosystems And where are the buttons? How do you actually do this? How do you help companies to grow? What are these little things that you can do to kind of throw into a company's life that might change the direction of that company? So in your opinion, what kind of person do you think would enjoy running an accelerator? Not just any startup, but specifically a startup accelerator. Someone who's mentally ill. (laughs) Um, Entrepreneurship is almost a religion. You know, my parents got into the front end of a Chevy pickup truck in 1967 and drove south 5,000 miles with three children under five years old. Why? Because they believed they could make a difference. Mm -hmm. I have CEOs and co-founders, CEOs and CTOs, who have driven south from Anchorage, Alaska. They drove to Oakland, California to meet their co-founder that they'd only interacted with online. Why? Because they believed that their company could make a change. And so I've seen this before. It's kind of a religion. We hold events where we get a bunch of people together into a dark room. We'll have a speaker tell their story, give a testimony as to their experience as an entrepreneur. It's don't tell anybody, but it's kind of a church. 
Oh, but um, don't tell anybody it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, how do we so it's it really is kind of a crazy almost religious sort of yeah. thing. The people who are really involved in this that I probably resonate most with that are people that are doing it for love of the game. Mm. Um if it's just to make money there's much better ways to make money. Yeah. There's much easier ways to make money. Um, you kind of have to do it because you love it, because you want to. Because frankly, there's a lot of suck in this business too, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, and I think what you're highlighting is it's, it's not just, it's it's an obsession. You believe it in your very core and then you can't not do it almost. Like you have to do it if it's religious. I would suggest doing anything else if you can at all. <laughs> um, and if you can't do nothing else, does that make sense? If you can't, if you can't not do it, <laughs> yeah. then okay, go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah. But it truly is an obsession for people because, you know, I, you know, we designed a new type of fund. I talked to six law firms. And, you know, I got laughed at by fund lawyers saying, why the hell would you ever want to build something so stupid? It kind of takes guts and obsession to keep on going and talk with the seventh law firm. No, absolutely. Are there any, I mean, I'm not sure how applicable this question is in this case, but let's say someone wants to test the waters a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to do it before they go all in? Before they start an accelerator? Yeah. Um. Help companies. Say, hey, how can I help? What can I do for you? Essentially, to be good in this business is you have to be good at helping companies and adding value to them. Start a business yourself. You know, start a bunch of businesses and fail. Fail a lot so that you really know how to fail well. (laughs) Be kind of like a gymnast and know how to take a fall. People's network... I've been surprised at how insanely valuable networks are and business networks and informal networks are. It tends to be a friend of a friend who knows the guy who's buys your company. And so it kind of pays to be social in this business. So build a big network. And really the only way you can build a big network is by meeting a lot of people. And if you don't enjoy that, you're probably not going to be good at it. And how do you get people to want to meet you? You generally try to be helpful to them. So how would you find these startups to help? Like, Can you name some resources that people could use? To find startups to help, go to a Hackers and Founders event <laughs> anywhere in the world yeah. and show up and say, hey, how can I help? That's um, a good point. So your website Frank- is at hf.cx, which I think links to all the chapters. hf.cx slash global. My guess is there's probably a chapter within a hundred miles of where you're at. And if not, you could start one yourself. Oh, yes. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Jonathan. This was really, really helpful. And thank you for being very honest and transparent. Is there any other advice that you'd share with anyone who's looking to start their own accelerator or just wants to explore this a little bit? Um, any advice? Make really rich friends. Oh, make rich friends. Okay, I think that's... Or find, good... find rich friends. Yeah, that's good advice for everyone. That should help. Okay. All right, thank you so much. I know I took a lot of time on a Saturday, but 
hope you have a, a wonderful rest of the weekend it's a long weekend oh thank you so much sonali i really enjoyed this great questions all right and let me know how i can help oh yes absolutely thank you so much bye bye cheers all right so that was jonathan on running a startup accelerator i really hope you found today's discussion helpful and i personally think that he shared a lot of great advice which is useful not only for someone who is interested in doing something similar but it's good for general career goodness so again i hope you found today's discussion helpful and of course as always if you have any questions at all for jonathan or for me you can email us at learneducatediscover@gmail.com and you can also tweet at us our twitter handle is at @led_curator You can also like us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash learn, educate, discover. And of course, if you like what we are doing, you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. Go ahead, search for Learn, Educate, Discover, hit subscribe, leave a review. Why not? Imagine tomorrow if you create something and then someone likes it and leaves a review for you. How nice would you feel? So it's the same thing. It only takes a minute and it honestly means a lot. You can also find us at learneducatediscover.com that's our website it has a collection of all the podcasts that we put together so far and slowly i'm adding the transcripts of all of these podcasts so if you're interested in reading rather than listening that's an option too so that's it for today thank you so much for listening and for your time and until the next one adios